it's not your fault, baby, it's not mine. Our chance we're crossing the same roads all at one time. Even if you see it coming, no time to beg out gracefully. One thing I know for sure. The Secret Truth Through forgiveness we awaken Transforming information and knowledge into wisdom And now our co-hosts Charlotte Littlefield and George Butler. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm your host, George Butler. Charlotte Littlefield Brown is on vacation. Welcome back, Alan Watt. I'm happy to be here. Okay, Swampy from Montana, what is your question for Alan Watt? You're live on The Secret Truth. Oh, gosh, it's not really a question so much, George. I just I do want to say quickly, um, we I look so forward uh, to Saturdays. You know, I, I put everything away and come in because I, I want to hear your show. Uh, I'm an old southern boy from Florida, and... Uh, I hear that ring in your voice from somewhere in the south. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm well, South Austin, Texas. <laughs> okay. But now, okay. Alan Rod um, is is he's the one that can ignite a lot of listeners. He's really good for my program. Well, hello, Alan. I I wanted to tell you um, when I flew out of the nest and uh, about 19 years old when when I left Florida to see what was going on in the world. I I had read uh, a lot about the. Pacific Ocean and uh, the Russian River and places like that, and and I came out, uh, like I said, when I was about 19, and settled on the Russian River there in Guerneville, uh, Monterio area, and uh, we uh, used to go to Jenner by the Sea, and sometimes we'd stop and and play our guitars, and I hate you know hate to say it, but we'd smoke a joint or something, and. Uh, Look at the Redwood Country and the. the we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna post indict you for that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but Armstrong, <laughs> didn't Armstrong Woods. I didn't uh, hear that, Alan. <laughs> you didn't inhale. I'm just being <laughs> honest with you, sir. But, but uh, you didn't Armstrong inhale, right, Woods. Swampy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot older now. Oh, okay. But, uh, but Armstrong Woods and uh, uh, I remember the. That the grove there, we we went up in there a couple of times and just would sit around and look at those beautiful redwoods around there. And I, I it raised the hair on my neck when I heard the things that you were saying. And I thought, gosh, we were riding that part of the country. You know, was it still going on in, in 1971? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it's been here for a hundred years. Oh my gosh, we were right there. <laughs> Yeah, the Bohemian Club was formed uh, in 1872 in uh, San Francisco. Okay. Uh-huh. And then, and then the Bohemian Grove is a site that they acquired uh, of uh, redwood, a stand of redwood trees. You know, quite a quite a stand, I guess. Yes, it is. It, I, I remember it like I well, it's been quite a many years ago, but I still can picture it in my mind. And I, I just didn't realize that all that stuff was going on, and I heard George mention it, and I said, boy, i got to pay attention on this one. It, it brought the hairs up on my neck, you know, to think that we were that close to mm-hmm. these almost yeah. demon-like people, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, but, but thank you. I, I don't want to waste your okay. time, George. And I, uh, well, thank you, sir. Thank we you. thank you for thank your call, you. Swampy, and, and call us again. Keep listening. Uh, Paula from Florida, you're up next. What is your question for Alan Watt? 
I really haven't got a question. I mean, some of these elites, they think they're elites. Well, they're from my family, too. And I'm going to tell you something. They're sick. They're totally lost. They're Satan's fools. And they're going to burn in hell forever. Yeah, they're pretty, I mean, they're pretty um, bad. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, there's been over 2,000 years of intermarriage in this family. I mean, my husband and I both are from the house of David. And um, I tell you what, this is, I just chewed out one of them the other day real good. And uh, told him, I said, you're going to lose everything you've got. I said, you're going to burn in hell forever. I said, you're Satan's fool. Yeah. It's pretty and, bad. Uh, he needs to be chewed out from what he's doing with these oil prices, and um, he needs to go to jail. Yeah. But these people are lost. I mean, there's just, you know, there's so much mental illness in the family, it's just unreal. Yeah. And I think this is what's caused a lot of it. And um, they just, uh, I mean, coming from the house of David, they've turned to Satan. I mean, what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, it gets crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, my husband, yeah. he's so embarrassed about what the family's doing; it's unreal. And um, I got you. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm so furious right now. I could just, uh, I chew them out regularly. <laughs> okay. Them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Just people just have to realize that they're sick. They're lost. Okay. We appreciate your call, Paula, and your uh, comments. Okay, call us back again. Thank you a lot. Well, you know, the when you say when you say sickness, are you talking about a, a pathology of some kind, uh, Alan, or what? Well, there's no doubt that it's interesting to see the different perspectives when you look at the same thing, same phenomena. Sure. And we know that uh, there's a book put out that was on pathocracy. It's called Pathocracy, and it's the study of the psychopathic personalities uh, from ancient times up to the present. So from a scientific point of view, uh, they try to rationalize it all away as basically psychopathic people who who inbred so much that you're pretty well guaranteed another psychopath in every generation who goes up. And if you're born into a powerful, wealthy family with connections, um, they certainly are trouble for the rest of the people beneath them because a psychopath has no normal bonding or emotion towards other people or humanity in general. Um, They live on pure ego. So depending on the way you look at it, the same phenomena, you can classify it under a scientific terminology of psychopathy, or you can take the standard religion, religious look at it. Um, there's no doubt it is a religion that, that these characters are involved in, but um, from a religious point of view, you'd have to say that, that if they are telling the truth and they believe they're taking on higher entities, which does give them certain powers, longevity, little intuitions that help them in business and so on, then uh, you'd have to say they were possessed. Are they, are, they, are they doing this transhumanism research? Oh, yeah, they're behind it, absolutely. The whole, the whole thrust of all the power elites of the world are into transhumanism right now, and it's the same thing, the perfection of uh, humanity, uh, the creation of new worker bees, ordinary people, or the lower ones, the perfected workers that won't need entertainment, they won't need uh, fun and games to keep them happy. Um, they'll be obedient, programmed people. And in fact, the world, um, one of the world's uh, scientific meetings they held at Loyola University on this very topic uh, to do with brain implants, brain chips, and so on, they said when this is uh, given to the public and it's ready to go, all they have to do now is use it to spend a few years indoctrinating the public to accept it. They said there'll be no more individuality amongst the people. It will be impossible to even try to think of yourself as a distinct, separate individual. Uh, so this is, this is where they're going. So with the ultimate communism is what it sounds like, but with fascist yep. masters, right? 
That's right. This is the blending of, of the fasci, which is an ancient symbol. It goes back to the Minoan civilization when the Minoans ruled the trade routes of the ancient world. And they, they eventually moved and became uh, the Phoenicians and so on. Uh, but this, the, the battle axe, the double-headed axe, the, the fasci wrapped in the bundle of rods was theirs. That became eventually a symbol of Rome and the early Caesars and or emperors and eventually the popes were surrounded by, I think, Was, it, was the idea that if the real wealthy and the people that control the power, the judiciary, whatever, stuck together, no one could defeat them? Was that the idea? The idea was one stick on its own, you can break over your knee. Right. But you, but you tie that around the haft of, of the axe in a bundle, uh, and you can't break it. So these powerful men acting together, bonding mm-hmm. together, it's hard to break their hold. Is that basically Absolutely. the idea? That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, and that's, and that's a, yeah, that, that goes way back. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, uh, where do we go uh, from? Is there any outside influence in this? I know uh, in England uh, at Essex and all that they've had some really a lot of transhumanism research, you know. Yes. But is there any outside influence that you possibly see coming in? I mean, you know, like an alien type of a mix between alien and human. <clears throat> no, but by the time we're finished, we will certainly look like what they've given us. To oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be. I mean, that we're going to look pretty damn strange, right? Oh, yeah, we will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you get a mixture of animals. I mean, they're already doing that right now, right? They are doing it. They passed the laws to allow it. Hey, if you hear me start barking, you'll know what they did to me, okay? You have to be quick on the go. Yeah, yeah. okay. We'll be right back. Got to go. Listening to GCN, the Genesis Communication Radio Network. To the Secret Truth. I'm your host, George Butler. Welcome back, Alan White. Yeah, I'm glad to be on. They're they're sitting out there in the Bohemian Grove right now, and they're contemplating some very major decisions. What comes to your mind about what they're going to decide over this next year? What big, you know, decision they're making out there right now? They're discussing what they've all heard at their big CEO meetings. Many of these men were in Davos, Switzerland, not so long ago, where a top futurist, I think it's called Mr. Bayer, he's written different books on uh, the agenda. And so they're, they're discussing all of this information, the long-term strategy for the domination of the world, which is going on. This is World War Three right now we're going through, while they standardize the, the last few countries into what this, they call the demo- democratic system. The United Nations sends in UNESCO right off the bat into these countries to train the first generation into uh, this, part, this form of democracy, as they call it. And the UN also funds the women first off the bat in the Arab countries to start their own businesses so they don't need men anymore. That's standard. The destruction of the family unit is prime to bring in this new system. They want everyone isolated from everyone else till there's no one to stand in front of you or around you when the government talks down to to you and that was shown by George Orwell in 1984 that kind of society this is the agenda 
they're standardizing the planet to, to bring it into a three-block trading block, um, as Karl Marx talked about in, in the 1800s. They'd create a united Europe first, followed by the United Americas, and an Asian Pacific Rim block under a global government, and then they, they will raise the United Nations to full power. UN, is, remember, it means un, un in French is one. I see. Is, is, is China, has China been roped in by, by recruiting them into the membership of the WTO and using those kinds of institutions and vehicles? Absolutely. Um, China, Communist China did not invent itself. It was, in fact, Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, a member of higher aristocracy in Britain, was sent there amongst with many other teachers and philosophers and professors back in the 20s and 30s to, to kick off in the universities in China and, and sow the seeds of communism to the youth. And then, of course, uh, big machinations were going on behind the scenes. They had to get someone to attack China to raise this fledgling Communist Party to full power, being the only opposition there would be. And so when Japan was militarizing, uh, they made a deal with high financiers in the United States. Bernard Baruch was one of them. And the deal was that they would finance them, these top bankers would finance Japan up to military strength before World War One or Two. Uh, in, uh, and part of the, the payment deal was they would attack um, the Soviet system first that to spur on the taxation that would bring on the protests for the Russian Revolution and also to go into China, Manchuria, China. And that's what they did. Uh, when they went to China, the only party they could uh, fairly uh, fight uh, the Japanese coming in was the Communist Party. So they were set up from the West, long-term strategy, chessboard game, and everyone is used in turn. And then in the 1930s, the Royal Institute for... And by the way, you can read about that in a book called The Fugu Plan, F-U-G-U Plan. It's also in the congressional records of the U.S. They found all these deals made by the U.S. bankers and the Japan elites. Say, say uh, that again now, Tokyo. Alan. No, what was that again? Yeah, you'll find the, the whole Japanese build-up to, to military strength uh, by the West, the Western bankers, uh, in the Fugu plan. It's called, the Japanese called it the Fugu, Fugu plan, plan, F-U-G-U, and it's written by Rabbi Marvin Tokayer, uh, who uh, was a Japanese Jew, and he tells you about how the financing came to Japan and the conditions that, that uh, these bankers made on Japan uh, telling him to attack the Soviets, or Russia, first the Tsarist Russia, and after a few years of heavy taxation and loss of life, uh, that helped to goad the peasantry into the revolution. Uh, so that was one bird killed off. The second bird was to, to get this fledgling communist party up to strength, and all they could do was to get invaded, so they then invaded, as we're told, China, and they went to Manchuria and killed millions and it was from that uh, conflagration that eventually the Communist Party was raised to strength with a lot of help from the West. But it's, it's even deeper and murkier. Um, you, you find that the Royal Institute for International Affairs in their 1937 meeting in Melbourne, Australia, talked about the future coming war with uh, Germany. They also say in that same book it would be very fortuitous if Japan were to attack America. 1937, remember, and bring them into the war. And, and then they said um, they must defend uh, Russia, Soviet Russia, at all costs uh, against uh, the Germans. 
And then they went into the post-war world. They were confident they were going to win it all. And they talked about the eventually build-up of China to be a manufacturer. So this was all planned back in the 1930s. We're living a script. Yeah, what, what they're doing is they're playing what capitalism off of communism, but they're bringing, they're building up communism. Yes, they always had the, because the Club it's of a, Rome. Yeah, the Club ahead. of Rome, which was on their main think tank, still is. I wrote a book called The First Global Revolution by the founders of the Club of Rome. And the Club of Rome are top futurists that come that figure out scams to get the world to come together as one and work towards this agenda. And the founders say that back in the 1970s, they looked at all the phenomena that drew people together, and warfare was the ideal situation where people will sacrifice themselves, go on rationing and so on, do what they're told. Uh, so they said they'd have to have a war. Um, so they hit upon the idea of blaming the people for causing, causing global warming so that mankind would be the enemy of the planet. And it says that would fit the bill. That's the words they use. That, that idea, that con, would fit the bill, and it's happening right now. You know, out of that Club of Rome came some of those first world models that I studied. Mm -hmm. they, yep. they, were, they were analyzing what the world, how, to, how the world operated on a systematic basis, like a systems analysis, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And there was a couple up in New Hampshire that pioneered, called Meadows, I believe the name was, if I'm not mistaken, that pioneered in some of those earlier world models, you know, computer models, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they used those as the basis to do some, some future planning, you know? Yeah, they do. But it's, it's amazing admission that they hit upon the idea, look, after looking at all the different scenarios they could con the public into to come together for warfare purposes and behave and do, and do what they're told, be ordered around, and they said that they hit upon the idea of blaming the people for causing global warming, and that would fit the bill. That's, that's now, the now what, what is your take uh, on uh, the, uh, the Iron Mountain report? The Iron Mountain report um, supposedly was found in a photocopier, a photocopier that was sold by a government institute. Okay. So you can't tell. However, we do know that, that, that um, the, the author initially, or the guy who supposedly authored it, said... Uh, or, or detracted, said it was really just fiction, and then he changed his mind again a few years later and said it was the truth. So it's up yeah, to they, the tried to, they tried to discredit it, but it's strangely coming about, isn't it? <laughs> no doubt. There's yeah, no so, doubt. so the report yeah. has some validity just from the, from the, uh, from, from the manifestations that are occurring yeah. now. Yeah, that, yeah, that's my take on it. Okay, we've got to cut away a second here. We'll be right back. Thank you, Adam. Nobody on the is the GCN Radio Network, home to hard-hitting talk radio. back to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler, along with Alan Watt. Welcome back, Alan. Happy to be here. Uh, we've got a caller from South Carolina. David, what is your question for Alan Watt? Yes, hey guys. How you doing? Welcome to the program. Oh, great. This is a wonderful show tonight. I'm glad you have Alan on. I'm a big fan of his work. Oh, he's, uh, he's a fine, fine person. Yeah. I had a good question for him, I hope. Um, well, considering he knows so much about the the way these elite systems work, um, do they uh, 
seek to have like one person in charge of you know the world itself, or do they currently have someone that they're just kind of hiding out? I suppose some would call it an antichrist. I doubt they would refer to it that way themselves, but they they do have um, a hierarchy. Absolutely, they do have incredible coordination and administration, tying all of these NGOs, foundations, etc., across the planet together to bring all of this about. Um, they do talk about a, a head um, person. Uh, sometimes they'll refer to it as, as also a group around the head of, the, say, the hidden masters. That means um, those who are alive today and also those who have been. Now, the hidden masters, according to their own philosophies, is, are those who... Uh, have reincarnated many times and are perfected, as you say, perfected, and they don't have to come back. This is the stuff they put out to the public, whether it's true or not, who knows. But um, they don't have to be. They're here to guide humanity into this oneness idea. This is this stuff is propagated through the New Age movements to make them believe it too. Um, but there's no doubt they do have a, a, a tremendous pyramid structure going up to a capstone. Who that particular capstone is is up to. Uh, will, will never be shown. They say the hidden masters will never be shown until uh, they've accomplished their mission. And of course, if, if we're all brain chipped and altered by then, we wouldn't be able to care. We, we wouldn't have the ability to care uh, if they come forward and, and show themselves for the first time. Uh, Levatsky in her books, and that was just a, a branch of masonry trying to get women into the movement, uh, she said that the hidden masters would come, come down and appear uh, to the public uh, when it's all been completed. So it's anyone's guess. Now, I think personally there will be a throne for a king of the world type idea. And maybe our only way out of this is when they start to fight for the, uh, amongst each other, squabble, as they try to get that seat. There's only one seat for the top guy. Whether they, they call it uh, like they do for the United Nations, uh, the supreme commander or whatever, uh, whatever title they give it, technically this will be the first in history um, uh, king of the whole world, entire planet, and uh, that, that for psychopath, that's incredibly alluring. It's, uh, it's it could be the only time that they'll start fighting amongst each other. But when titans fight, the, the little people get slaughtered at the bottom. Where, of the where would that new where would that throne be, uh, Alan? To your best uh, knowledge, um, if we look at, it's interesting if you look at. The Crusades, the Crusades themselves are a mystery. I mean, the Norman people are a mystery. Who they were, who really, where they came from. These people who spoke French and supposedly came down through Norway and Sweden. Um, but we know that they, once they, they, they took over Europe with uh, logistical bat wars that went on for many years, decades, the tremendous supply lines and so on, and shipping. Uh, this was a, a world war scale. Till they took over Europe, and they were no longer, they were, no, they were not even in Britain for maybe uh, 20 odd years, and they recruited the peasantry into the military. And the first thing they did was go off to the Middle East to set up a king of Israel. Uh, so they took the entire Europe with them to go over and set up uh, this king of Israel idea. And uh, we forget there was a, a crowned king of Israel under, under the Crusades. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and, and do the same kind of thing again in the future. We certainly know that they've taken over Dubai and they're building up that area to be um, the most ultra-modern cities or city in, in the whole planet. 
for a specific size of a, a population, a new type of, of a sizing a population, special population, and we also know that they're going to want to enter Iran, old Babylon. It's interesting if you look at the pop and rock music in the last few years, the many songs came out about Babylon, and the Stones did their tour of, of a bridge to Babylon, and you've got other ones coming out of the return to Babylon. So this whole idea of coming back to the beginning is very important in the cults. So that's, that could be that area that's set up to be, to eventually to be... The, the, the second ba Babylon, right? Yeah. This is another question for you, uh, Alan. Considering that, uh, it would appear to me that, uh, you know, our archaeologists, some of them these days, are uh, finding that the, the Sphinx, for instance, is much older than Egypt. And all of the commonalities between all the, the, the diffuse cultures and peoples throughout the world, uh, it would seem that there was a, some type of common culture at some point uh, yeah. that perhaps we fell from something in the past. You know, perhaps there was a high civilization. I know Atlantis plays into their mythology quite a lot, and perhaps they're, I, I think they, they're trying to work back towards that. There's no doubt that at one time, just by the building structures in, in the Neolithic period even, we know that the, the, there was a common world culture by the building techniques they used. Uh, you, you'll find the same techniques to use the, the, the walls in Peru. These massive stones are interlocked without cement. Every stone shaped to fit the other. That's incredible work. And it's never been explained why they, they went to all that work to create that type of structure. Um, but we know we've found it across the world elsewhere. We've found the standing stones elsewhere uh, with the circles of standing stones across the world as far as Australia and the Scotland. Easter uh, Island and places like that. Yeah, so everywhere. we know there was some kind of, of ancient culture that was in communication by ship. We know that uh, Barry Fell, Professor Barry Fell from Harvard, uh, unearthed in Algonquin Park in Canada at the tops of three pyramids and the CBC... Uh, radio did a whole bunch of documentaries on that find and they found at the bottom of it the quarters with these, they think there were monks or priests lived and they spoke an ancient Egyptian Iranian tongue um, so and then of course the government stepped in and wired that whole area off and that's the last few have heard of it so we're not supposed yeah. to know they were here already so there's no doubt about it, they've also found ancient coins from Phoenicia along the, the, the eastern seaboard of the United States and Canada and even some graves as well. So yeah, there was ancient of... travel across the entire planet at one time, and, and it was probably um, even in the Neolithic period that happened. Yeah. Well, you've answered some great questions for me. I really appreciate it. And uh, talk to you guys. Okay, time. David, thank you very much for your call. Call us back and keep listening. You, you made some good, uh, asked some good questions and good contribution. Thank you very much, David. You know, people out there, you know, it gets back to this question, Alan. Are enough people worldwide going to be able to wake up to what's really happening? To I make mean, a difference? It, to really make a difference? I think we have to change or even our ways of thinking of, of uh, like, the masses. We, we, we tend to think that everything is a mass movement to save this or create that. And somehow or, or other, I, personally, I think that everyone down through their lives are, is making decisions um, as to what is cumulatively I think the masses help this along in fact the elite uh, depend on the masses going along the way they're directed they, they're a symbiotic relationship what it really boils down to 
is uh, the, the saving, if that's the, the right word, of individuals across the world. This movement is to destroy individuality. And most people belong to the mass, are quite happy with the mass, they have all the same opinions, um, they don't want to be different from anyone else. And so the enemy of this entire system, and the United Nations has stated this, even when it was called the League of Nations, that they must destroy individuality for what they called world peace and utopia. And you must understand who defines utopia for whom. Uh, so I think we have to change our way of thinking and think maybe um, we can steer this off in a different direction, but it won't be the same system we have now. That has to go completely regardless. Maybe touching enough individual hearts will make a difference and then they'll act in a certain way that will change things. Yes, it will take tremendous uh, work on themselves to okay. stand up and, and change okay, things. Okay, we got to go. We'll be right back. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm your host, George Butler. Welcome back, Alan Watts. It's good to be back, Jim. Uh, Alan, how can we... Uh, Charlotte always likes us to get into positive this last uh, segment. What can we do to make this a better world? Ah, uh, well, I'll tell you... Well, your, your, your life, you've devoted... I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. A, can you tell me in ten minutes... <laughs> No, but I mean, you've devoted your life to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I asked a guy one time, I said, what's the cause of war? Give it to me in two minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. but anyway, uh, you've devoted your life. It's obvious that you care about this world and you care about people. But what kind of positive, uh, if you get up here on your soapbox, what would you tell our listening audience now that they can do? And what advice would you give, give me, myself and my listeners? I think I'd have to tell them they cannot keep the system that they're used to. They like it because they're used to it. They feel scared about anything that is different. Whether they like it or not, they can't save it because the elite have decided to move on to the next phase, the upgrade that they've planned for us all, which is not a nice system at all. So they find a new way of going. But I think it boils down to the fact we can't allow politicians just to do all the, the, the higher thinking for us and so on, all these big problems, that, and let us play like children. We've got to regain our adulthood. We've got to uh, regain primarily our humanity. We're, we've lost so much of our natural humanity, which is a survival instinct when people have a natural bonding and an empathy for other people, regardless of where they are in the world. And when you think about it, how many years have we sat and watched where people are eating, they're eating their dinners, and they watch the Vietnam getting blown up. Uh, we watch other countries getting blown up. Now it's the Middle East getting blown up. And it doesn't even affect them. You see, that's an unnatural state to be in. You've been desensitized. But we've got to regain our natural sense of horror at what's happening in the world, our natural sense of complete indignation when we lose every freedom and right we ever fought to get in the first place. Under any guise, they cannot be taken away from you. And the standard guise of robbery of all these things is giving you uh, safety um, and, and security in return for taking your rights away from you. You cannot have it that way. When you have no rights, you have...
have no safety. That's the bottom line. You, and saying, you have no freedom. Yeah, you're saying in a way that we've been traumatized purposely, intentionally. Yes, we have. And, and we've been dissociated our ideas of who we used to think. We used to think more clearly, and we had more of an integrated idea of who we were in, in the world. Yes. And they've, they've broken that into little bits and pieces and dissociated it, and then they're manipulating us through all this media. Yes, and they've also basically destroyed uh, the, the strong cultures of, of Europe and, and the Americas. They've destroyed them, and that was intentional too, because that's, how you, that's a long-term project in war. You must destroy the culture, the values. You must bring down the, the, um, the, any kind of natural decency, Morality must go out the window so that anything goes, and that was also the strategy of the U.S., the Soviet Union. They said that it takes 30 years to demoralize a people, and that once they're demoralized, you can lead them by the nose to any direction you want to take them. When you have no moral convictions to stand for, uh, then you're, you're easily pushed along in the flow. Then you'll go and, for anything, right? And you have nothing to fight for. And men have lost their their their, their even the knowledge of how to lead anymore. They've been under attack since the 60s uh, in an escalating fashion, and um, they won't fight for anything because there's nothing left technically for them to fight for. You see, this is all a strategy, a war strategy. It's been very, very successful. So we've got to regain our, our, our identity as to who we are as individuals and, and realize that it's your cohesiveness together they can, they can make changes, but we can't go get back a system that was totally corrupt. This Tower of Babel has so many band-aids holding it together down through the centuries, and it's been a horror show. We, we must find another way to go and, and bypass their United Nations plan and all these other plans that they have. But it starts with the individual uh, re regaining the right to be an individual and to to have um, and then start having that natural empathy for others. What's done to others eventually will be done to you by this big monster eating machine that presently is over the middle in the Middle East is coming back home. You're sort of talking about a redemption of self through holding oneself responsible again. Yes. Yep. You, it, we, we've sort of defaulted to a system of blaming the whole world but ourselves. That's been encouraged. Uh, Huxley talked about it, so did Bertrand Russell. He says we'll create a, a nation, a world of egocentric people who, where the world spins around them. The me generation, what we've been through it all, we've seen it happen, how it was introduced through the culture creators. And there, there are culture creators that guide the culture decade by decade, and they know where they're going. So people are so egocentric, they've lost the natural ability to bond and the natural affection for other people. And, and that hierarchy has gotten, it's, it's built a hierarchy, those ideas. Is that right? That, that's correct. And, and that's, that, that's the process of the elimination of, of the culture. Destruction of culture must come before you put in a totalitarian government. And that's exactly what the communist, the Soviet system said they'd do. But don't forget the Soviet system was created by the Western powers in a dialectical process to change the world. The two together would change the world in that, the that, third that's, way. Yeah, that's yeah. why when I talk to a person that would be described as a liberal, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm yeah. not trying to disc, uh, disc liberals, okay, yeah. for my listening audience, but a, a certain type of person has been conditioned through the university system, mm -hmm. and they don't get it sometimes, see? 
Well, again, mm, the, the, there's the defectors that came from the Soviet Union. There's one up on Google is very good. It gives you that 30, 40-year strategy of demoralization uh, into decadence that was to be used through entertainment, through music and so on, and through the culture creation industry, and also through professors in the universities. And he said those ones who grew up in that after the third generation um, are, are contaminated when the real switch of government comes in with totalitarianism, that's what he said, which has happened in 2001. He says when that switch in government comes in with totalitarianism, they will, they, those people must be eliminated because they'll find that all those liberties that they thought they were championing uh, for a specific party don't exist. That party will not allow them to live now uh, with those particular values. They'll be, they'll be, they're used, then they're eliminated. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes those people that were the were the biggest uh, supporters are uh, of the totalitarians are, are the first to go, are they not? They're the first to go because they're contaminated. They still think they have rights. That's what they're pushing all the movement in the West with was rights, rights, rights. And the, the totalitarian system that they were that was backing them shows its real teeth once it takes over and eliminates them. They cannot have them around. And this this these particular defectors said this, also the same strategy they said that no matter how much evidence you show them of gulags and prison camps and so on they will not believe it even when you take them there how much evidence to the contrary of their belief system is shown to them they are unable to accept it and that's what you're seeing in society those who are awake uh, are trying to communicate to those who are not awake and it isn't that they don't want to wake up it's that they can't understand what you're saying they've been totally conditioned into a decadent type it, society. It's, it's heavily traumatic-based, deep programming, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to break because I, I see the, the synergistic inputs uh, reinforcing the, the sleep, you know, state. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. People, the, the, the television was the greatest tool of propaganda and indoctrination. Now you have a world having the same television stations showing the same propaganda so they're standardizing the propaganda even the Iranians have it over there <laughs> yes mm -hmm. yeah. and they got computer games and everything yes they do God, I tell you well we're coming to the end of our program and uh, Alan Watt we've had a really fine con uh, conversation this evening yes and I've learned quite a bit from you and our, our listening audience I'm sure is is uh, has been heavily rewarded by you and your and your uh, your knowledge. I'm, I'm glad to have been of help. Alan, you're a fine person. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, all we can do is keep keep trying to do the right thing, right? We we'll have to. We must. And, and we'll help. No the, help. <laughs> we have no option. No so option. Uh, thank you very much, and and, and good night. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Bye bye. Good night. Thank you for listening out there. We're getting ready to sign off. Uh, this is Light a Little Candle. Uh, that's a little hope song that I wrote a few years ago. And maybe we touch a few hearts along the way and, and, and bless everybody out there. <laughs>